Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 54 of the Red Light Hockey Podcast. We're almost at my favorite, second favorite hockey number, and that is going to be in our next episode. Uh, this is our last episode before the holidays. It's going to be our holiday break because uh, we're all traveling over the holidays and everything. We might do a couple. So next time they'll be talking to us, it'll be 2022. But this week we're down the two men uh, just because of, again, crazy, crazy times right now. In the army, we call this silly season, and Chad's doing some crazy stuff with his eyebrows, kind of freaking me out. But whatever. Oh, yeah. How you doing, Chad? I'm talking too much. Oh, I've been good, man. I haven't been on here in a few weeks. I was in California, um, back home for a little bit. Got to spend some time with the family, with the girlfriend. Had a good Thanksgiving. Got to go to a Sharks game. Got to take my girlfriend to her first hockey game. Um, that was all very fun. So yeah, it was good, man. Um, haven't been able to watch a ton of hockey except for the hockey that I'm working at. We have three teams where I work, so it's been uh, it's been quite busy. One of our teams is second, one of our teams is fourth, and one of our teams is last. So it's a uh, we really got got a whole wide range of teams and places and people. So it's been a lot of fun for sure. Yeah, I know. There's it's also a professional women's team in the building. The Connecticut Whale play where we play. And two things about women's hockey. One, it's fucking awesome to watch. If you haven't watched it, watch it. It's like yeah. of, it's like just it's clean hockey. It's basically hockey without violence, is how I look at it. Like the players are a little bit slower, like and they don't shoot as hard. So there's not as many like just bombs from the point. But other than that, it's you know, it is the what? same game. It's not they're not actually slower. What it is about women's hockey, uh, I'm not sure where you are. But I know most women's hockey, they don't play on the same size ice as the NHL. They I mean, play... it's the same size as our professional team, so I'd imagine it's the same size as the NHL. So I guess maybe the league, the, the wheel, the league, that league is, is an exception to the rule. But I know for most teams I watch, they play with the hybrid ice. So it's a, they extend the ice, but I think it's five feet aside. Like the Olympic ice, right? No. Or it's so wider. Yeah, so the Olympic the Olympic ice is wider. It's like a between the NHL and the Olympic ice. The, okay, yeah, Olympic... but it was super fun. Yeah, it was yeah. it was super fun to watch. They played a couple games. They went they went two and zero. ESPN was in the building. ESPN Plus is where it is. Although I do have to say, I said I was going to say two things. The first thing is it's awesome to watch. Uh, definitely watch it. I'm definitely a Connecticut Whale fan. I got one of their hats. Awesome logo. But the other thing, they changed the name of the league like six weeks before the season, that was a horrible idea. I don't know what they were thinking. They changed it from the NWHL or whatever it was before the National Women's Hockey League. I think is what it was, the NWHL. And now it's the PHF. It's the Pro Hockey Federation. Yeah. But they changed it way too close to the season. So now no one knows what that is. And yeah, I don't know. It's been, it's been definitely fun to watch. And having the girls around the building, it's really cool because then you see – what they do for youth women's hockey. And it's just been fun to watch. Um, nevertheless, though, it's been, it's been busy. We have, I think 14 home games this month and we have no home games for the last week. So it's 14 home games in 24 days or something. So it's been, it's been quite a thing, but, uh, but yeah, just getting ready. I'm going back to California for like two and a half weeks. Got a, a friend's bachelor party and, some fun stuff when I'm going back and I go away with the girlfriend, you know, all that good stuff. Christmas. Yeah. Christmas is always fun. 
if you celebrate it. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, there's been some crazy hockey. I got to see the Sharks win, which was good. Sharks are one point out of a playoff spot. No complaints there. So, yeah, I mean, what I think we've learned in the last week, uh, in the last few weeks, is uh, if your team's in struggling, if you have something going on with your franchise and you think somebody's going to get fired, um, and you want your management or coaching to get fired, you want your team to play the Pittsburgh Penguins soon. Because mm-hmm. yeah. if I you look really at good. it... There's been three firings. There's been a ton of teams making big changes. Yeah, so Montreal fired their entire front office immediately mm-hmm. after winning against Pittsburgh Penguins. Vancouver fired their front office and their coaching staff and then hired a new coach after losing the Pittsburgh Penguins. And then Philly fired their head coach and their associate coach after losing to the Tampa Bay Lightning, but the game before that was Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh has not been playing. Oh, they've been they've been picking it up a little bit, but yeah, it just happens to be that the team that everybody plays right before firing everybody. <laughs> so, who, which team do you want to get into first? Montreal, Montreal, because they're the oldest one, the first one to do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, let's go Montreal. I mean, this is something that, I mean, I think it just kind of underlines like the ridiculousness of the run last year. Like the team wasn't that good last year, and they made that run. And yeah. then Bergevin I mean, didn't have price, and that's kind of what it was. Yeah, that, that, that's fair. I mean, also, though, if you look at the roster this year, uh, just tonight, for example, they're playing. They have $70 million in the injured reserve tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, but, I mean, you also have $70 million tied up in aging veterans is the other way to put that. So Weber's in that, right? Yeah, well, no, no, Weber's in LTIR. And so is Price. Oh, Price, he's not in that? Yeah, I'm putting Weber in a different category, but everybody else is like Price is in there. Um, there's <clears throat> Toffoli, there's Anderson, there's Gallagher. Who else is in there? That's a big name. Petrie's in the injured reserve. Edmondson's injured reserve. Sherratt, mm-hmm. he's playing tonight. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just no excuse in the NHL for being injured like there is, but you've had the lightning who had their, you know, Stamkos was out two years ago and they won the cup. Yeah. And, you know, you were missing your captain. You could still win a cup. So just how it's, it's built. Not- Bergevin, he also has an impossible job. There's nothing he could have done. He could win three Stanley cups in six years and he would still be compared to those teams from the fifties where everybody from Quebec just played on the Canadians. So no, there's just nothing it's- he could have done. And it's an impossible market to play in. It's an impossible market to win it. They gave Paul Caulfield a beer and sent him down to Laval. Like, (laughs) so it's uh, the thing. The thing is, the way you have to look at it is, coaches are usually hired to be fired. Yeah, and I think sometimes managers, well, managers usually are too as well. They just have longer shelf life than a coach. Mm -hmm. But and Bergevin's time was up. Um, How long was he there? 10 years. Okay. He was the second longest GM tenure in the NHL behind uh, Sharks guy. Doug Wilson. Name? Yeah, Doug Wilson. Doug Wilson. Yeah. <clears throat> but speaking of which, I hope he's okay. Was Yeah, cough. me too. Well, what's mm-hmm. going on with him? Do you know that? With his cough, whatever it is? No, I just, I heard what everyone else heard. I'm not in the building anymore. I heard yeah, that he had a cough fair. and that he had a cough and that it wasn't going away and that they didn't know what it was. And that he just... 
stepped away for a little bit, but Sharks have problems of their own. Joe yeah. Will took over though. He's the Barracuda GM. Awesome guy. Yeah. Like I don't I don't know. I don't know the how long it'll last. Well, I mean, you know, he's, he's I hope Doug Wilson I hope he comes back today or tomorrow. Yeah. I'm I'm a Doug Wilson stand, especially because Eric Carlson's finally playing like Eric Carlson again. But yeah, Joe Will's a good guy. He uh yeah. haven't met many nicer people in the business. So yeah. I'm happy that happy that he got his day. No, since since we're talking about Montreal and all that kind of Montreal nonsense. Um mm-hmm. just because you're you're more familiar with the West Coast, do you and the AHL specifically? So one of the candidates for Montreal for GM that they're talking about is John Madden Jr. Mm-hmm. San Diego goes GM. Do you know him at all? Yeah. Or you don't what do you I don't know him. him. <clears throat> or of um, him. You know of him. I don't really know of him either. I know that okay. San Diego is one of the sort of you want a lot of AHL teams should market themselves after San Diego. Okay. They don't try to do too much. They low, you know, reach out to colleges. They have, I think, a four thousand seat arena. They yeah. pack it every night. It's called Pachanga. I think it's a Pachanga is what it's called. A lot of fun. They uh, they play into it. I know that the goals are great, a very well run organization. I know they're broadcaster, but other than that, I don't really know any of them. Um, but yeah, I mean. I think that Montreal, you need to hire a former Montreal Canadian. I think that's the only way it's ever going to work, especially well, when you said that he has to be able to speak French. Martin Madden Jr. does speak French. He's from Quebec City. Who? Martin Madden Jr., the guy I was talking about. No. He's, he's from Quebec yeah. City. Um, and his dad played for the Nordiques and was the GM of the Nordiques. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's going to make a difference. I think. Uh, Hiring a GM midseason and firing a GM midseason is stupid. I think it's a yep. really bad thing to do. There's nothing so, you can do. So the thing with hiring a GM midseason, at least from what I've heard or what I've been told by and understand, is the reason why it's good is it gives the chance for the GM to come in, build his coaching, his scouting staff, and be able to do well at the draft. See, here's if, you're the fire, thing is, if you're firing see, your GM that's midseason, not true. If you're firing your gym, why not? Because how how are you going to build your coaching staff or your scouting staff midseason if they're all hockey scouts in the middle of a hockey season? Where you're going to build your scout staff from places that don't have anyone, the people who don't have jobs? That's where you're looking. No, no, like there's already there's already a scouting staff in place, right? I mean, like he's going to read the reports and start looking at stuff himself because GMs do that, right? Because they at the end of the day they do have to decide who they want to draft, right? So they're going to probably tell their scouts, okay. I want you to target this guy, so-and-so, to so-and-so, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, I don't think there's anything that could be done now that wasn't being done that could – I don't know how to phrase that. I don't know anything – I don't know the advantage of bringing him in now because right. Bergevin – I mean, the only scary thing, but I don't think Bergevin had, like, the utmost authority. I think he could have been mixed if he was trying to trade away guys, right? If he, like – if he – made some like yeah. hay on his way out if he knew he was leaving, right? Because that is something that's worried where it's like you're trying to make a trade to save your job when yeah. his job was over before last season and that was the writing on the wall and then they couldn't fire him after he made a Stanley Cup and then they're the worst team in the league except for Arizona. So yeah. they fired him. But the I, I thing that... is that there's nothing that could have been done. 
you have Bergevin for the rest of the season. He knows what you are. He's going to be able to get more out of your guys instead of some random new guy coming in that none of the players probably know, right? Like you have a guy like Suzuki and Caulfield, and I do understand getting someone in there new that can maybe relate to those guys a little bit better. Um, but at the end of the day, you're cursed by being Montreal. Your fans expect something that's just never going to happen again because you were dominant in a time where that level of dominance is just impossible. There's never going to be that level of dominance in the NHL ever again because it happened and then the rules were changed so it couldn't happen again. Right. Like that's, I mean, that's just how it happened. And there's no, there's really no way around that. I'm happy, though, that they hired Gordon. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. He's a good hockey guy. He's a very good hockey um, guy. And I think his position, what, he, what he's going to be doing now is going to be great because I think uh, previous – the previous three GMs that they've had uh, since Molson took over the team have struggled very much so because Molson would step in and try to be too involved. And now he's finally hired a guy that between him and the GM, so he won't be sticking his nose and everything and ruining the team. He still will be. But, but I think we spent it, enough time on – I think we spent enough time on Montreal, though. I mean, it's tough. You guys just – no one's been performing. Yeah, no, it's, it's been brutal. It's been people it's said Cole Caulfield was going to win the said he was going to win the rookie of the year. He hasn't even really shown up. Yeah, he's did starting, you see what Trevor Zegers did tonight? Oh man, that was insane. That, that was video insane. happened just before we started recording. Yeah, he went like he was going to do a Michigan, and then he ended up not doing it. Flipped it over the net. I don't know who it was in front, but someone just batted it out of the air into the goal. Comtois. That was, was Comtois. unbelievable. That was unbelievable. So yeah. good for him, but that was, of course, there's another GM that got fired, obviously for different reasons, but mm-hmm. Anaheim no longer has their GM. Philly. Vigneault, gone. Terry, yeah, I guess gone. Oh, actually, I mean, I guess that's what happens when you lose that many games in a row. Here, Here's uh, something I heard on the radio. I just wanted to, I want, I wanted to mention it. So, there's a French radio station, sports radio station I listen to. And they were calling the ad callers in and they're just doing like a, it was like a joke uh, survey. What do you think is more likely in Montreal? Mm-hmm. Do, if Ducharme gets fired, do they hire Vigneault for a second term as head coach? Do they, do they hire Terry for a fourth time as head coach? Or do they hire Patrick Roy to be the co-head coach for the first time? Probably Patrick Roy. I'm just, you think, you think it's going to be Roy out of those three options? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yep. that, that, was all I think, I, but... that, that was all I just wanted. I just thought it was funny. But, yeah, no, Vigneault and Terry ain't gone out of Philly. Uh, now it's Mike yeah. He's taking over as an interim. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on this? Like, I, I've i never been a Vigneault fan. I don't like the guy. Yeah. He had the – what came up about him? Was he the one who – he had something come out about him when he was coaching back in the day, right? Was, yeah. Am I, am I, that was the Robin Leonard stuff. Robin yeah. Lehner stuff, wasn't it him? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to bring that up. That, that's nowhere – not relevant at all to this, but I just think that, you know, he can't lose that many games in a row. They haven't won a game since November 16th. Yeah. If, if that's the case, you're going to lose. And it's like not even that they haven't won a game since – I mean, they they lost 6-3, to 5-2, to two, and you go into December 4-1, to 7-1, to 7-5. to five. I mean, you're giving up five goals a game. You have Carter Hart. You made all those upgrades to your defense. Granted, Ellis is out. He's not playing right now. 
And for those of you who say I sound like a Flyers expert, my roommate's a Flyers fan, so it's all I hear about. Um, also, I just want to point out, I also don't like the GM in Philly. I don't like Chuck Fletcher. Made some good moves. Made some also good made some, moves. I mean, he also they, they had they had the worst defense in the NHL. They went out and got Ristolainen and Ellis in the same offseason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would rather have that than someone who didn't make any moves and just got kind of worse. That's true. I guess I just I might be over judging him because of uh, his history of Minnesota, what he did there. Mm-hmm. Bringing Shout out, same... I mean, somehow the Islanders are worse. We all got that wrong. Yeah, Oof, I don't know what happened there. Yeah, but it's uh, that that division is still crazy because Philly and Islanders, I still feel like they're playoff teams. Yeah, and the Rangers I are just... still think they're playoff teams. The Rangers are just wild. Yeah, they're playing way too well. I mean, they're good though. I mean, they're, they're nasty. They are. Shout I mean, out to shout just... out to the Sharks. Shout out to the Sharks. The the Hurricanes were thirteen and three, or like thirteen and one, or something when they played the Sharks. Then the Sharks beat them in overtime, and they lost to Carolina. They lost to Seattle, beat Philly, lost to Washington, lost to Dallas. They lost to Ottawa, and then they beat Buffalo. So the Sharks sent them on a little skid. But then, um, oh, Rod the Bod got a fine, twenty five thousand dollars. For yelling at a ref to do his job or do his effing job properly. Uh, yeah, I mean the refs. The refing has been bad, but there's one more we got to get to. What was the other firing? Vancouver. It fired their entire front office and their coach, uh, their head coach, and then the owner hired Bruce Boudreaux for on a two-year contract. Um, I always liked Boudreaux. I heard some funny stories about him on coach. the radio. I heard I heard some funny stories about him on the radio yesterday. Yeah. So, uh, do you know who Jason Pominville is? Yeah. So he was saying when he was playing under Boudreaux in Minnesota, half the time Boudreaux would come into like uh, the locker room to like yell at people and stuff with like pee dribble all over his pants and stuff because he he'd pee on himself <laughs> or like he'd he'd sit here he'd talk, talk to you in his face and be covered in spaghetti sauce or like his tie would be full of mustard. Like nothing mm-hmm. wrong about the guy, just like that. He was a, a really messy person. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Vancouver, they're way too good to be this bad. Yeah. And Boudreaux is historically same, really same, And it's like, the, it's the same thing as Philly, except Philly, I think, finds their way out of it. Vancouver, I don't know if they're going to. So, you know, like, I make no mistakes. So I always bring it back to the Sharks because, of course, I'm a Sharks fan. The Sharks aren't going to finish in the play. I, I think the Sharks are going to finish seventh or eighth in the Pacific. I don't think they're going to be very good. But I also think they're kind of playing at about what they're going to be. They're going to be like at or right around 500. Vancouver, I thought, was going to be very good. I thought they were going to be probably 10, 12 games over 500, which, you know, doesn't sound like a lot. But if you're 12 games over 500, that's what? You're 57 and 45? No, that's 92. I don't know. But no, that's, that's 102. You're like 45 and 30. I don't know. Whatever you are. You're 12 games over 500. You got over 100 points. So that's what I thought they were going to have right now. They have 20 points through 26 games. And, you know, you're starting to get to that point where you can't really work your way out of it. You know, so it might be, it might be tough to see what's going to happen with Vancouver. Seattle is kind of right there too. They haven't been playing great. Arizona's Arizona. Everyone's trying to, you know, fail for Shane. So 
Shame for Shane writes nasty. Shame for Shane. Shame for Shane. Shame for Shame for Shane. There should be a better one. But um Yeah, no. That's tough. I mean, if you look at if you look at it though, like like Boudreau, he's historically more of an offensive coach. Um he's always had nasty power plays and nasty forwards. So I'm I guess it'll be good to get Pedersen and Besser going. But yeah, I, I think you're right. He's my mate in the first round, and then that's it. Yeah, shout out to Florida too. Florida's 14 and one at home. That's insane for a team that doesn't like bananas. Yeah, like well, how are you 14 and one at home and then three, three, and three on the road? Also, how have you only played nine road games and 15 home games? They're but, gonna hate, hate, hate that at the end of the year. I love too that the Islanders were like, we haven't played any home games. We haven't played any home games. They're oh four and two at home. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Since, since they started playing home <laughs> games. Yeah. I don't want any home <laughs> games. Oh four and two. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, yeah. yeah. Let's keep, and let's then of course the the U.S. Did you hear about the U.S. diplomatically sitting yeah. out of the Olympics? So yeah. what does that mean? <laughs> it just means no officials are going. Like the athletes are still going to go. So like it's Biden's just like, not going to go. Every, yeah, like sometimes they'll have like the Secretary of State or President or Senators or whatever. There can be no one with like diplomatic status going over there, basically. Mm. Okay. But yeah, not really going to make a difference. But <laughs> no, um, not for us. Like uh, maybe like the President of China will be insulted. Oh, also, yeah. and since we're talking about the Olympics, uh, it was officially announced today that China's men's ice hockey team can play. It's absurd. So they're, they're going to get the beat same... 100 to nothing. <laughs> they're in the same pool they have as what, USA. Brandon Yip? No, he can't play. He's, he's technically Canadian. Who's their best player? Their best player's highest level of hockey play, Junior B in Canada. Junior B? Yeah. That's like, what would that be? Like, that's like not even maritime, right? That's like, that's like Greater Ontario. Is that what that is? Like, G O J H O, whatever it is. Lower than that. Like what's the what's the NAHL? That's that's tier two, right? But that's NHL. above. That, NHL yeah. is like is almost is is equivalent to major junior. No, it's not. The USHL is. The oh no, yeah. you're talking about the Canadian one. NHL that's one below USHL and major junior. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So that's like so it's like it's like major junior, and then it's junior. like USHL maritime, like a couple of those like good leagues, and yeah. then it goes to NA because the NHL, which is where I work, is a good league. They you know yeah, it's, a whole bunch uh, of guys going D one, couple guys junior. that could get drafted, but they're nineteen. Yeah, yeah. They call it they call it tier two. That's what it's called in the US. Okay, so yeah, that's good junior players. A. So junior B would be like, I guess tier three or tier four. Yeah, not good. Um, yeah. Anyways, so, uh, <laughs> good luck, China. <laughs> stay up, stay up for a three a.m. start to watch Team Canada beat them thirty-seven to nothing. Yeah, I'm but... gonna watch that game. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun. So, what's that? What's the group? It's U.S. and Canada in the same group. Yeah, U.S., Canada, Germany, and uh, China. Only two teams make it out of that. Yeah, that's a fucked up group. Germany's usually pretty good, aren't they? I mean, they have a few good players. Not really, though. 
They have like Leon Dreisaitl. They're going to have Maurice Sider. Because they used to have, yeah, they used to have like, I remember when they had like all those sharks. They had like Marco Sturm and Marcel Gotch and like yeah. a whole bunch of guys. So I guess they're not that good. I mean, they, they have Dreisaitl, the U.S. should like, be a wagon. So should the, so should Canada. I mean, I hope Canada's well, a wagon. Sweden. Sweden will be good. Yeah. So Sweden's, Sweden's groups, I think, is the hardest group. They're uh, Finland, Sweden, fin- um, Russia. No, Russia's in a different group. Uh, I think they're in Slovakia and Switzerland. It's all in the same group. Switzerland's not good. Well, I mean, they, they have, don't have a ton of guys. They have Roman Yossi. And they have Timo Meyer. Yeah. But they're not like, I guess a couple of NHL guys is pretty good. But when you're talking about like competing, because yeah. what, Finland? Who can actually compete for the gold? U.S., Canada, Finland, Sweden, probably Russia. Yeah. Well, Olympic athletes from Russia. Yeah. Is Vasilevsky their goalie? For Russia? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Vasilevsky, um, Shesterkin, and uh, Bobrovsky, I think. It's not a bad one, two, three. Who are the, the U.S. is going to have <laughs> Carter Hart, Halibut. Uh, and- oh, no, Carter Hart's Canada. Yeah, it's going to be Hellybuck, uh, John Gibson, yeah, and uh, Jack Campbell. Tough. That's tough. That's going to be tough to beat. Speaking Canada. of Jack Campbell, I think I think the last thing we're going to talk about here is this whole Leafs. Uh, wi- uh, oh oh man! Uh, why can't I think of the Jets? Jesus. Yeah. The Leafs Jets thing. That was about as dirty of a thing as I've ever seen happen in a hockey game. Which one? First, you have Dubois just like you know wrestling Austin Matthews out there. It's <laughs> like, what hilarious. are you doing? That was just hilarious. Yeah, that's like, like <laughs> that's just like so dumb though. Like, what what are we doing? And then you have uh, probably the dirtiest play. I hate using that word, but I mean that's such a scumbag play from Spezza. From a guy who isn't dirty like that. Yeah. He's never been like, known for it that. It looked like what happened last year in the playoffs with Corey Perry and Tavares, but mm-hmm. intentional. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, he skated 15 feet right at No, probably like 50 feet right at him. And just kicked the guy in the head. <laughs> yeah, need him right in the forehead. That was That's tough. Yeah, and uh, then... Uh, even tougher was the, the, cat, the guy who tweeted it and made everyone look like an idiot on Twitter. He tweeted yeah. out that he got a 12-game suspension. He's got six. And tweeted out that Spezza got a 12-game suspension, and it was from NHL – what's it called? NHL Rules Committee or whatever that Twitter handle is. Yeah. And uh, the, he tweeted it out, but it wasn't a real account. It was like a guy's personal account. And then that link to the NHL story was the story of the Habs beating the Leafs in Game 7 last year. And people were so mad and, like, Cat Friendly shared it. A couple of journalists shared it. It was pretty funny. And then he actually. But, uh, got I think his six. name was Mr. Booth, Mr. Booth Seven or something. He got six though. He got. He got. He got six, but yeah, he I mean, uh, he just announced he is appealing it. Yeah, he's gonna appeal it and fuck around and get twelve. Like, didn't McDavid? Did McDavid get suspended too? No, he's got a game misconduct. He's got a game. That's such a like a horse. That's you can't have it both ways on him. You can't. This is the thing that bothers me. This will be kind of the last that we go into. If you haven't seen it, he boarded a guy. Wait, wait, wait. Before we get into this, before we get into this, I want to finish the Leafs Jets thing. Yeah. Uh, also, yeah. Neil Pionk, he got a five-game suspension for his uh, knee on knee with uh, Sandine. 
He's also has a concussion, right? Yeah. Uh, so a five game suspension. I mean, I don't think he's going to remember it, but um, yeah. So McDavid got the NHL does such a bad job of protecting their star players. And you can say what you want. You can say, oh, that's hockey. You're an idiot. The NHL is a better place with Connor McDavid in it. It just is. Yeah. The I NHL. Mean, I don't like fighting. Like, well, I like fighting as much as the next guy. Like, I'm not anti-fighting. But I almost think, like, you need to almost bring back the enforcers if the NHL doesn't want to do anything about it. Yeah. Like, the NHL just shoots themselves <clears throat> in the foot with this. And, you know, Sidney Crosby missed a year of hockey. That, that's not something that should ever happen because someone else in the game took them out. And yeah. you see every year, every team runs into it in the playoffs where they don't have that big guy and it ruins their season. And I hate it as much as the next guy, but you need to protect these guys. Yeah. Like and Connor like- McDavid, I'm sorry. Connor McDavid shouldn't be getting hit like he's getting hit. And you can call it soft call, whatever you want. Connor McDavid makes eleven and a half million. He's the best player in the world. It's not even close. Twelve and a half. Best player in the world. It's not even close. And if the NHL didn't have Connor McDavid, it would be significantly worse. Now, my so my question is like, why isn't Zach Cassian protecting? That's his job. Yeah. Well, two things. One, even if he's on the ice ninety percent of the time, that's ten percent of the time when he's not. Um, and two, it's the ref's job too. Like right. all those clips surfaced of like him, that check he took into the boards against the ducks. Like I hate it, but Sidney Crosby gets more calls because he's Sidney Crosby. Connor McDavid is in my opinion, a more skilled and more talented player than Sidney Crosby ever was. Right. It's based and on pure raw athleticism. I, I think too, the thing with McDavid versus Crosby is Crosby whined a bunch when he was young. Yeah. McDavid doesn't whine. He just yeah, shuts up and takes start. Exactly. Um, but yeah, no. And then also, Paul, he went on, did a solo interview this week um, with this podcast. They're called the Center Ice Card Cast. Uh, the dude's names are Aaron and Eric. Um, and yeah, basically, they talked about hockey cards and stuff. It was a pretty cool interview from what I was told. I, I didn't partake in it. Uh, Paul did it by himself. Um, so, yeah, we're going to go over to that right now uh, before we end, end today's episode. So we're just going to say our goodbyes now, and then uh, you guys can carry on listening and listen to the episode, to the interview. And everybody have a good week. Have a very happy holidays. Stay safe over the holidays. Don't drink and drive. Take a fucking Uber or taxi. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Do I have anything to say there before we uh, kick it away for the holidays, Eric Chad? What I say? What holiday are you talking about? There's no holidays for like two and a half weeks. But no, it's I, I go on. What go you're on saying the, is true. I go on Christmas holidays uh, next week with work, and then our mm. we're, we're super super busy. Like uh, as far as home life goes, mm-hmm. we're traveling and everything because of that. I hear that, but uh, no, I am too. I'm going to be back in California. It's already <laughs> too cold here. I don't like it. Um, but yeah. It should be a good time. Hopefully, we'll see all you guys soon. Maybe we'll jump on for a special episode if we can, if anything big happens. Yes. Otherwise, the Sharks are better than the Habs, and that's pretty much all I got. Also, before we go, I just want to say, uh, since the Bruins and Leafs guys aren't here, um, 
I hate Leafs are a wagon. I hate, I hate the Leafs and I hate the Birds. Leafs are a wagon. Have a good week, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another interview from Red Light Hockey Podcast. Yeah, my uh, my name is Paul, and uh, today I have the guys from uh, Center Ice Hockey Cards Podcast. Did I say it right? Close enough. <laughs> That's good enough for me, the Center Ice Cardcast. It's a Center mouthful. Ice. It's, it's a mouthful. Go. I often shorten it as well, so don't worry about that. Center Ice Card Cast. Yes, we have these guys here. They are a hockey card podcast. Currently have over 500 followers on uh, Instagram. And uh, you guys are also on Twitter. Twitter, everything, right? Like that? Twitter, it's YouTube. Everything, everything. Yeah, uh, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, um, any podcast um, app. We're pretty much on there too. So yeah, we're very um, findable. That's for sure. Awesome. So um, just to start, tell us about how uh, you guys came about with the idea of the of the podcast, because it's something very different, as we talked about off recording. And uh, you guys went out and did something you were really passionate about. So how did that all come about? Yeah, so pretty much once COVID kind of hit North America, um, I was just kind of thinking, hey, you know, what are what's a way that you know, I can contribute something to the hobby, you know, what, what are some things that, you know, I'm capable of doing, what are, you know, what are things that the hobby, you know, either doesn't have, or, you know, could benefit from. So the idea of doing a podcast just kind of came to mind. And I didn't really have any um, experience with doing a podcast. I'd been on some as a guest before, but never, as you know, a host or anything like that. So kind of took a little bit of time, you know, thinking what that could look like. And then, you know, after a few weeks of thinking about it, I was like, okay, if this is going to happen, I, I probably need to have someone else joining me doing this. So it's not just me, you know, I mean, some of our listeners might think otherwise, but I don't think I'm anything overly interesting to listen to. I think Aaron kind of helps out with that aspect of it quite a bit. So um, you know, I, I got thinking of, you know, who could I invite to be a co-host for this podcast if I end up doing it? And the first person I thought of was Aaron. Um, we still to this day have never actually met in person. Aaron lives up in the Toronto area. I live down in the States um, in Indiana, uh, grew up in Chicago originally. But he was the first guy that I thought of because we had been familiar with each other just in the collecting world for probably, correct me if I'm wrong, Aaron, but maybe like 10 years or so, just kind of casually on social media, on right. yeah. forums like Clutes and Chara, Hobby Insider, Sports Card Forum, places like that. And I just thought that we had generally a, a fairly similar outlook on the hobby. You kind of have similar interests as far as, you know, our collecting goals and things. We're both, you know, first and foremost player collectors of players that you wouldn't think of immediately you know we don't collect you know McDavid and Gretzky and Crosby and all those guys we we kind of collect more uh you know obscure guys so to speak so um you know and I knew Aaron was also fairly young like myself so I figured it would be a good fit so I just reached out to him and said hey man you know I have this idea for starting a podcast about hockey cards what do you think 
you know, is this something you would want to do with me? And I think at first you were kind of like, maybe like that sounds kind of interesting. And then I think you gave it a little bit more thought and you were like, yeah, let's do this thing. So then we probably planned for maybe a month or so, a couple months before really getting going with it and starting to record. So our first episode, I believe, came out on June 1st of 2020. And yeah, we've been going, going at it ever since. I believe we have 46 episodes currently. We have a 47th recorded, but it's just not edited and published yet. That's awesome. Uh, so Aaron, what did you initially think when you got asked to, about the podcast and doing it? Um, I thought it was an awesome idea. First of all, like, um, like Eric said, like, like we were already uh, familiar with one another. And um, yeah, so it was just something like when he approached me with it, I, I was a big fan of the idea. I, I just needed uh, some time uh, to kind of decide like, like, you know, am I right to be like a co-host on this thing? You know, is this something that I want to do? Because I like the idea, you know, it, it sounded awesome. And then, so I gave it a couple of days to, to think about it. And then again, um, as Eric alluded to, um, you know, just went into the planning stage about what we want this podcast to be. And um, yeah, we've, uh, ever since our first episode, we've been pretty good ever since, so. So how did you guys initially meet? Like you said, you guys met through forums. Was there a certain one that, because I remember going on the Klaus and Chara forums all the time and uh, meeting some interesting people on there. Is that where you guys met initially or? Yeah, um, I, I think that was the the first forum that we got connected with. I think it was the CNC forums. Um, I just remember Eric posting his cool, you know, show and tells there and, and what he had going on. And then um, I'm pretty sure that is when we first kind of connected with each other. Um, and then more recently, we've been more active on Hobby Insider on those forums. And that is where we continue to you know, talk hobby with each other and, and see what new cards we picked up. And then from there, that's when Eric uh, reached out to me, um, said, hey, you know, check your messages because, you know, I have this idea that I want to, you know, talk to you about. And then from there, um, obviously, we talked about the podcast and then we got something going. So it was, a, you know, a very cool matchup for sure. How did uh, you guys get into cards necessarily? Was it like from a childhood thing or was it something that you picked up uh, in, let's say, high school or later on in life? Yeah, so for me, um, I, got, I first got into cards in 2003. I think it was spring of 2003. Um, I was playing youth hockey at the time and our head coach um, would give out cards to us after games, after practices, you know, if we had a good game or if we were doing something well, he would reward us with just like little stacks of cards. He would go to a local card shop and just pick up a team bag full of cards, you know, for a dollar or whatever, and would give them to us as a reward. So that's really how I first got into it. And then my dad kind of jumped on board with that same idea as well. He would go buy packs of cards and give them to me as a reward for how I would play or whatever. Um, and then also, uh, one of my cousins uh, was a pretty big collector at that point in time in the early to mid 2000s. And um, he would 
give me big, you know, four and five row boxes of cards to, you know, look through just like base cards and stuff. But, you know, as a little kid, I mean, that it was just so much fun being able to look through everything and sort through them and, and stuff like that. So that's really how I first got started. And I've been going at it ever since haven't haven't taken any breaks or anything. And yeah, I mean, I, I've just loved it ever, ever since day one. Nice. Um, I'll uh, jump in here with my uh, first experience in the hobby. So I collected in the 90s. Um, I am a 90s kid. And so the 90s obviously were um, very special when it comes to cards. Not so much for, you know, money, but, um, you know, for cards, it was definitely, um, uh, you know, a very special time. Now we know it as the junk wax era, but um, like definitely a cool, um, you know, decade for cards. So I don't remember actually like obviously going to the store and getting cards that young, but I do have a lot of cards from the nineties. So that's when I officially like started collecting. But then after that, I took a break for a while. Um, I lost my childhood collection in a move. Unfortunately, I did eventually find it. There was nothing worth anything in there, but um, I did start collecting, I guess for real, um, probably around 2005, um, just going to the packs, like going to the, to the variety store for packs and stuff like that and ripping open some stuff was, was always really cool with uh, any money that I had or was fun um, and just trying to pick up, you know, the cards that I liked, mainly it was the goalie cards. And then I've been going strong since 05 for uh, pretty much with minimal breaks since then. Um, and it's been a lot of fun. So 90s kid who eventually turned into I guess an 05 collector. So um, yeah, it's a very cool card. Cool year for cards, as far as I'm concerned. Very nostalgic. Yeah, that, that's how I got into it too. I remember going with uh, my grandfather getting cards and he would always buy me cards and everything or the McDonald's cards, if you guys remember those back in Those were awesome. Those were really yeah. cool. I definitely <laughs> got in on that as well. Um, yeah, that's what I love about, we talked about this a little bit on our podcast, but about the Tim Hortons release, that it reminds me so much of the McDonald's release back in the day, because it's a cool way for kids like myself at that time to get cards. And, and so promotional releases like those are um, a very cheap and affordable way for new kids to get in the hobby. So exactly, like, just like yourself, you know, it's, it's a way in for some people, which is really cool. So was there any uh, particular product that you guys bought into, like any series that you guys wanted to get the full sets of and are still looking or have you guys gotten them all? Um, not so much. Like, like I'm not really a set guy, but um, for whatever reason, I did rip into a lot of um, uh, 2006 Beehive. Like, like that product for me was like, like, I don't know, like, like something about it. Like it had some old school look to it. And it was the only thing that the variety store at the corner carried at the time. And so I bought a lot of those packs. I, like, like I didn't hit up like anything like big or anything like that, but um, I still have a lot of the base set uh, from back then. And so maybe one of these years I'll complete the base set, um, but it's just a really cool set that I love the look of. And it, you know, like every time I come across one, even just a little base card or something, it's just something that it's just, again, it's very nostalgic. And um, again, I'm not really a set guy, but if there's any set I'd like to complete, you know, like just for the memories, it would be 0506, um, or no, not Beehive, sorry, Parkhurst. That's the one. So 0506 Parkhurst. 
Nice. And uh, what about yourself, Eric? Yeah, so I would definitely say I'm more of a set collector than Aaron. Um, that hasn't always been the case, and I still wouldn't necessarily classify myself to be a set collector, um, but just that I do collect sets more than Aaron does. Um, the first set I ever completed was 200304 Upper Deck Classic Portraits, which a lot of people might not remember that product because it was only around for a couple of years, but that was the first box that I ever opened. My dad and I went to a show in Chicago, and I don't know how much money I had with me at the show, probably like 50 bucks or something. So I said, okay, you know, what, what can I get for 50 bucks? And, you know, it, it's funny, especially nowadays looking back on that, because I'm sure a product like that now would be, you know, well over a hundred dollars. But back at that point, I think you could get a box of that for like 40 bucks. And it came with, you know, your packs of cards. And then it also came with, um, they, I feel like Classic Portraits was kind of known for their mini bus that they had of players. So I thought that was cool. And just because of that, the box itself was just huge. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's what I want to get. So I did that. And I just really liked how the cards looked. So I ended up deciding to collect the set. And it was actually fairly difficult, I would say. I mean, I was pretty devoted to it. It wasn't an overly expensive set, obviously, being a kid, but there were some pretty tough subset cards within the product that just for whatever reason didn't show up all that often. So it took me probably a couple of years to finish it. But yeah, that was just a really fun one to do. Um, and then we, we talk about this on our podcast every now and then. But since uh, COVID started, along with the podcast, I also wanted to give myself kind of a more expansive project to be working on as far as my collection. So having 0304 be the first full year of the hobby where I was collecting, I just remember pretty much all of those sets coming out and thinking that pretty much every product was just really, really good looking, really quality as far as what it offered. Um, you know, whether that be the design or the checklist or whatever it might be. I just thought that pretty much every product from every manufacturer was really solid that year and fondly remember them coming out, like I said. So I decided for my project to collect every single hobby base set with all the short prints from 0304, which to put into context, that's 50 different sets that account for over 10,000 cards. So it's a pretty pretty daunting task and there are obviously some huge cards within that I mean you've got you know products like Premier Collection that was essentially the cup before the cup um, you know everything imaginable so all of Marc-Andre Fleury's rookie cards all of Patrice Bergeron's rookie cards which I'm sure you can appreciate <laughs> yeah. um, all that stuff so it's it's been extremely fun going back and, and getting cards from that year that I remember, you know, wishing that I could have as a kid and, and now being able to pick them up and stuff. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of turned me into about a, a bit of a set collector, but yeah, as far as first set and set that I was initially drawn to, I'd have to say classic portraits. Do uh, either of you have a set that you're particularly fond of that you remember from your childhood that you still go back and try to get more or so of those ones or 
I would say going back to my previous answer, um, 0506 Parkhurst is one of those sets that um, I don't keep going back to it. But again, just one of those ones that as soon as I see it, I'm like, oh yeah, that was an awesome set back in the day. Um, yeah, that would be it for me. <laughs> if I had the single one out from my project, because um, I mean, I, like I said, it's still an active project and I'm constantly picking up cards for it. I just got the Brent Burns Young Gun yesterday, actually, but um, which is hilarious in and of itself, seeing him as a baby face. <laughs> but um, one particular set that I've really enjoyed going back to is 0304 uh, Be a Player Ultimate Memorabilia, which was definitely one of the highest end products from that season, uh, arguably in the game's highest end product. Um, across the board really when they had a license, but also for that year as well. And I just have really fond memories of my cousin that I mentioned earlier, opening boxes of that product. And I know he even let me open a pack of it myself one time when I was over at their house. And, you know, so just the fact that now all these years later, I can go back and be collecting some of those cards that I was pulling was really cool. And that's probably I would say one of the toughest sets of the year anyway, just because of how scarce the base set was. Um, for those who aren't familiar with it, it's, it's all autographs. The entire set is all autographs. The veterans, there's only 135 copies of those. The rookies, there's 100. And then all of, they called them the limited autographs, which had all of the superstars and retired legends. There's only 19 of those for each. So those are obviously extremely hard to find. So, yeah, I would say that's been one that obviously, even though I go after every set from that year, it's probably my favorite, I would say, at least right now, just because of the nostalgia factor of remembering my cousin collecting it and opening it and opening it myself. When was it that you guys realized that this wasn't just a childhood hobby, that it was a passion of yours, that you really wanted to do this for a long time and not give up your collection or anything like that? I would say for me, it was like, probably, I guess, after high school, right? Because then you're like an adult, I guess you could say. And then, you know, you still have that collecting bug. You know, I think it's easy to, like, I'm not sure if everyone had this, but for me, you know, Growing up in, in Canada, um, a lot of kids collected when they were young, right? And you had friends to trade with, like things like that. But then eventually, um, you know, uh, life gets in the way a little bit and people grow up. But for me, that collecting bug always kind of stayed with me. I'm like, no, but cards are still cool, you know? They're, like They're still cool. Even if I'm like, you know, 18, they're still cool. Um, so I think we see a little bit more of that nowadays with the hobby being so... Um, uh, popular again you know we see that more with the younger generation I guess but back you know 10 years ago or so it wasn't really like that so um, for me I think after you know when you get into your 20s a little bit and you still think it's cool I think that's when you kind of like look at it like okay um, I still would like to collect for a long time you know it might look a little differently like over the years but I, I still want to do it I guess long term I guess so that's when I started to realize you know I guess the collecting bug never really left me. Uh, I guess early 20s, I just kind of figured, well, you know, this might be with me for a while. You know, it's not something that kind of grows out of it, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, I would say probably a similar answer for me. Um, you know, I think even during high school and stuff, I didn't really have 
too many friends that collected. Um, I had a few, but not too many. It just wasn't as common, at least, you know, growing up in Chicago with hockey, it wasn't as common. It definitely did once the Blackhawks kind of rose to prominence, which was around when I was in high school. Um, but yeah, I mean, then I went to college in Indiana, so I left home, went four hours away. So I brought, you know, some of my better cards with me, you know, that I wanted to still be seeing on a regular basis and stuff, um, you know, and kind of didn't really know what that was going to look like. And then, uh, our, our dorms at my college are everybody like freshman through senior. So my freshman year, there was a senior down the hall from me who was, you know, a big sports guy, but he also had collected cards growing up and he didn't still actively collect really at that point. But, um, you know, through us kind of bonding over cards, you know, not only did that kind of like confirm for me, like, yeah, like I still do really enjoy doing this. And, um, you know, I know for him, it kind of reinvigorated his interest in it just because he hadn't actively been collecting for a few years at that point. And just seeing, you know, someone else really be interested in it, I think, you know, kind of reminded him of how much fun it can be and stuff too. So, um, yeah, I would say at that, at that point, that definitely was like, okay, like I'm, I'm definitely going to be doing this for a while. Um, not that I had ever planned on stopping collecting, but, you know, having that kind of aspect where you are able to, you know, relate to other people with it. I think that, you know, really helps solidify it too. Is there um, any cards from that time that you hold? It could be like a 50 cent card for, for uh, doesn't matter how much. Is there a card that you guys hold valuable to you that is um, um, sentimental to you that, like I said, could be 50 cents, could be $500 card, anything like that? Um, I'm not going to say his name on the podcast, but my cousin is uh, in the NHL. Um, I'll tell you after. But um, so, so his cards are, are, are um, pretty surreal to own. Um, right now, they're a little bit, you know, more in value because everything is kind of spiking right now. But I think cards to him are, are, are really cool, you know, just because, you know, it's just, it's, it's wild seeing that stuff. So um, yeah, cards to him are nice. Um, other cards in my collection, um, I would say like the Enroth, maybe Young Gun, I think means a lot to me. So, um, yeah, like that's really cool. Like, just cause, uh, when that card came out, you know, I was in high school and so just seeing the gear he was wearing at that time. And like, as a goalie myself, I always thought, you know, the gear is really cool. And so just any card for me that really kind of brings me back there, uh, is really, really fun. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's your, I mean, obviously your cousin having a, a relative getting cards is pretty cool. Um, and obviously the listeners right now couldn't see it, but I was holding up as he was talking about holding up a card of his cousin. But um, for me, I would say one of the more sentimental cards that I have, um, I actually have, I don't even know how many copies of it I have, probably at least 50, but I have a few friends that do or have played in the NHL. And the first one, he only played two games in the NHL for the Buffalo Sabres. His name was Derek Whitmore. Um, he was that was in 2011 so when he got his first nhl card it was an 11 12 pinnacle 
uh, that was just like the coolest thing ever. And I mean, obviously it's not a valuable card, you know, they're worth like a dollar, but yeah, I mean, just like, cause I had known him for a few years at that point. So just getting to, you know, kind of see, you know, okay, he finally made it and, you know, he has the cardboard to prove it, you know, it's just really cool. And um, yeah, I mean, I, finally remember when those came out and finally remember scouring eBay, trying to get every single one that you know was listed for sale and everything. And still to this day, I mean, if I see one pop up on a sale thread for a buck or whatever, I'll buy it. So if anyone listening has any of those, feel free to get a hold of me and I would be happy to buy it. So. Is that how you guys started collecting who you collect right now, just by accumulating so many cards of them, or was it, to a uh, personal grab towards that player or type of player? It's a great question. Um, well, for myself, uh, my primary collection is of uh, Jonas Enroth, uh, the former NHLer. And so for me, you know, like I said, as a goalie, um, watching him kind of come up through the ranks, um, I remember watching him at the World Juniors uh, back in like 2008 or something, and, you know, and seeing how good he played. Um, and then when he came up with the Sabres, I, I remember watching his, um, his first NHL win against my Toronto Maple Leafs and just seeing how good he played, uh, you know, uh, seeing all the commentators like comment on his lack of height. You know, I thought that was pretty funny. And so being a short goalie myself, seeing a guy like him make it is, is, is very cool. And then so just seeing the way he played and how good he was. Um, you know, it made you realize like how good he had to be to get to that level. And so, um, you know, as a goalie collector, it kind of made sense to be like, okay, wow, like I'm a big fan of this guy. Uh, let's go pick up some of his rookie cards. And so it was a purposeful, you know, uh, get when I started to collect, you know, a card here, a card there. And then, uh, you know, after a few years, it became a, you know, a sizable collection. And then I figured, you know, to make a complete list and see what I have, see what I don't have and do it, you know, the right way, I guess you could say, and just go from there. And so that was, oh man, a bit over like, like 10 years ago now. So uh, yeah, it's definitely been a long road, but yeah, definitely a purposeful choice uh, to start my main, you know, player collection um, alongside, you know, Martin Brodeur and Belfour, Fleury and Carey Price. Like those guys were more, like more of my childhood, I guess you could say. And so I decided, you know, to have a, a pretty decent collection of those guys also. For me, it was kind of interesting. I, I always started kind of as a player collector growing up. Um, you know, I would seemingly go through a different guy almost every year for whatever reason. I just never really stuck with any of them. Um, as a little kid growing up in Chicago, I obviously liked Kane and Taves. Um, of course, as a little kid, I didn't have money to buy anything overly decent of them. It was mostly just inserts and low end autographs and Jersey cards and stuff like that. But, um, I did collect a couple of players, uh, you know, pretty seriously. I collected Brian Little in 07, 08. I collected Zach Bogosian in 08, 09, um, both Atlanta Thrashers guys for whatever reason. Um, and just for whatever reason, didn't stick with them, pretty much sold off everything of them after a year or two and kind of just kept going with collecting a different guy here, a different guy there, 
and then getting rid of their stuff and starting all over. And then fast forward to probably around this time of year in 2008, I had picked up the Nicholas Jalmerson Artifacts Black one of one from his rookie year and had, I think, a couple other Jalmerson cards at that point and, you know, realized, okay, you know, I have a few decent cards of him here and I do like, you know, the player that he is. I like the way he plays the game. Um, I ended up kind of actually playing a similar style as him later, a few years later when I was still playing, but just kind of gravitated toward him and, uh, you know, his playing style and obviously being on the Blackhawks helped because I was able to watch him frequently. Um, so kind of because of those things, you know, said, okay, this is a guy that I really do want to collect and really stick with. So, uh, you know, 13 years later, I'm still collecting him and, uh, you know, still trying to go back and find cards, even from all the way back then that just for whatever reason, I haven't been able to find. Um, so he's really the first guy that I collected seriously that I stuck with. And then I do also collect a few other guys that I have personal connections to, um, Jacob Slavin of the Carolina hurricanes, Ryan Dzingle of the Arizona coyotes. Now, um, I mentioned Derek Whitmore previously. Um, they're all personal friends of mine. Um, probably Derek, the best of the three, but, um, definitely friends with Jacob and, Ryan, I'm probably more just kind of um, like acquaintances with, but he went to my high school. Um, same with Christian Fisher. He went to my high school. Um, and there's a couple other smaller guys that I don't consider to be like my main guys. But yeah, um, like I said, I have personal connections with all of them, know them personally. So that's why I collect them. And, you know, in that regard, it's nice because I know no matter what, I'm still going to collect their stuff. You know, it's not like, oh, he got traded. I don't care about him anymore. Like, no, a friend is a friend. Like, I'm going to collect you no matter no matter who you're playing for, you know, whether it be a team I like, a team I don't like, a team I couldn't care less about, you know, whatever it might be. So, um, yeah, I would say Jalmerson, you know, is kind of more just the, I like the team, the player, have a nice card, all those things combine into one. And then everyone else being a personal friend just makes it easy to collect them. That is a, that's really awesome that you guys have so many guys in the NHL that you collect and everything. That, I really like that aspect of cards when you know the player and everything. Uh, is there any card that has just skyrocketed in price over the past couple of years with COVID and everything? It seems like cards have really shot up in price that, that you guys have that you're that you look at and say, really, this one? Um, not so much really surprising, but, um, I have a couple of Marc-Andre Fleury's rookies, um, like obviously they're big cards. And so that is really that I really me. need, by the way. Yes, it's <laughs> very true. Like he does need that. Uh, maybe one day, like, like you never know. Um, but the, like those cards don't surprise me in value, but ones that, um, I picked them up for pretty much nothing. Like, like, I think I got the Marc-Andre Fleury young gun. For like, I, like I think a Kevin BXO rookie card. I think it was like a straight up trade back a couple of years ago, and so that's you know like obviously it's a big card, but uh, the value doesn't surprise me. But just the fact that you know I got it for so little, you know that part of it does surprise me. So a couple of flurries there um, that obviously are are, are quite um, 
surprising. Um, cards that I already have that surprise me, um, I can't really name any examples, but sometimes when Enroth cards come up for sale um, that, that I picked up years ago, um, I'll see them come up for sale now and then they'll go for a crazy price. And I'm sitting there like, who would pay that? You know, like, how is that possible? Um, are there more collectors out there than just me? That's so weird. So um, yeah, like that stuff kind of surprised me, you know, how strong the hobby is right now and, and, and how there's some cards out there that even just a year or two ago wouldn't really go for much. Now just have all these eyes on it because so much people are either getting involved in the hobby for the first time, I, I guess that hype, or they're getting involved and collected, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and they're just getting back into it now, right? So, um, yeah, but there's definitely some cards out there that surprise me, you know, when it comes to their price. That's me anytime I get outbid on a Sabotka card. What pretty are you much. doing? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, I think yeah, all player collectors have been there, you know. Um, you know, they'll get outbid on a card, and, and you're thinking, wait, what? There's there's more buyers than just me. You know, it, it, you know, it just goes to show you how big the collecting world is sometimes. Um, that and if you go to a show you know you kind of look around and see a bunch of people and think oh wow like this hobby is kind of bigger than we think sometimes um so yeah it's always kind of fun when that happens a little bit yeah that's that's a good question i mean i know there's definitely a few cards um that come to mind for me uh austin matthews young guns connor mcdavid young guns um i think i have four matthews young guns currently and I picked those up probably about three years ago for like $175 or so and have since had them graded. And now, you know, they're seven, $800 cards, um, us, which, you know, would be up around a thousand for you guys up there, but, um, you know, just crazy on that. And same with the McDavid, I think I got, I, I pulled one myself back at release in 2015 bought another one a few years ago and I believe I bought that one for I got a pretty good deal on it but I think it was around two hundred dollars and you know now of course those are a thousand twelve hundred us raw so um yeah I mean it's it's crazy how much those have gone up um one that I actually just pulled out was looking at the other day that's in my personal collection is the Patrick Kane future watch auto rookie those at one point in time, you could get those for about 50 bucks. Now those are about a thousand dollars. So that's pretty crazy. I mean, you know, with all three of those guys, I mean, it makes sense. They're superstar players. You know, I would argue all three of them, you know, well, Kane is a legend of the game at this point, but uh, you know, McDavid and Matthew certainly have the potential to get there. You know, if you don't already consider McDavid to be a legend of the game, I think a lot of people probably would at this point, but um, yeah, so it's not really surprising, especially in the context of COVID that they have gone up, but just considering, you know, what you're able to get them for not all that long ago to what they're worth now is, is pretty, pretty remarkable, honestly. Yeah. The, uh, McDavid cards can go for a pretty penny. <laughs> Definitely. Is there uh, something about cards, like the, how they're made or anything how they pick players or anything in general about cards that you've learned since doing this podcast that you found extra interesting? 
a really good question, you know, because we've been fortunate to have, you know, a couple big people on the podcast, you know, from uh, Billy from Upper Deck, um, Dr. Price from President's Choice, um, Greg from Leaf. So we've, uh, you know, accumulated quite the, you know, the interviews on the podcast. Uh, uh, not only that, but these are people who have, you know, their hands on the product, uh, who, who, who really bring it to life. Um, I would say, um, you know, how much care that these people have, you know, about their cards. You know, I think some people, when it comes to any manufacturer, I think are just thinking that they're kind of facelessly putting uh, their name on the card and then shipping it off. But I think, you know, those three guys that I mentioned really do care about the cards that they put out, you know, down to the smallest details. And, and they really do care, you know, what the collector thinks of them. So I think just overall, like hearing those stories and hearing those behind the scenes conversations that we've had the pleasure to have, I think it really, you know, opens your eyes a little bit to how much they really do follow the industry, how much they care about, you know, the common collector, I would say. So, you know, that's something that I think could get lost, especially with all the crazy prices that we see nowadays. But, you know, there are people behind these cards and I think they really do care about, you know, the industry and they care about the collector. So that's one of the things that, since they're starting the park podcast have, has been, you know, like really eye-opening to me, you know, and really, and getting experience that firsthand has been really cool. Yeah, I think for me, probably one of the biggest eye-opening things, at least, I don't know if I would say it's necessarily something I've learned, so to say, but um, just like hearing from those guys that Aaron mentioned why certain things are happening and why certain things are the way they are, you know, whereas if you go on social media and, you know, Facebook groups or on Twitter, you'll just see collectors endlessly bashing the manufacturers for various issues that happen. And they have no understanding for why that happened. And, you know, like Aaron said, they just kind of assume that the manufacturers don't care. Well, they really do. And, you know, for us, whether it be you know, on the record, on the podcast, or even just in private conversations with those guys, um, you know, hearing the reasoning behind why things are the way they are um, is just, you know, invaluable to me, I would say. I mean, I'm sure it's the same for you, Aaron, but, you know, I, I think of even, you know, a, a somewhat controversial card at the time, like the Alexi Lafreniere Young Guns card. And there was so much backlash about that card, so much buzz, you know, positively and negatively at the time that that card came out, you know, and just being able to sit down and talk with Billy about that for, you know, an extended period of time. And we probably talked about that card for a good half an hour on our podcast, hearing what went into that card, why it is the way it is, what limitations they had to deal with. And, you know, how that factored into how, you know, how it came to be and, and all that. Um, I guess one thing to say, you know, something I've learned, um, I definitely did have an idea about it, but just hearing from those guys, uh, Billy in particular, how far ahead of time the process begins for making card sets. It's, it's so much more involved than a lot of people think. Um, I mean, they're already working on products, you know, a year plus in advance. So, you know, there, there's just so much that goes into stuff and, and being able to hear about 
that kind of information straight from the source, you know, and it's not even like, oh, we're talking to, you know, we're, we're direct messaging the Upper Deck, you know, Twitter account. No, like we're talking to the guy that is literally making the set. Like he knows what's going on because he's the one that did it. So, you know, I think just hearing that information, you know, straight from the source, like I said, is just invaluable as far as learning about why things are the way that they are. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting because all the there's a bunch of debate when the cards are being presented and everything. Like every year, the young guns are criticized or hated or something, right? Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like uh, you know, I, I always love seeing the upper deck preview images for you know their latest series one or series two, um, and there's always those people who kind of bash on the young gun design and you know I mean it's just a mock-up you know uh relax until the cards get here kind of thing so it's always funny when when that happens but um hey you know um as far as the young guns go I mean you know they're always trying to put some new design into it and, and make it look cool so yeah like, like things like that like hearing about what went into certain card designs and um that's always really cool but yeah, I mean, no matter what they do, I mean, people are going to like it. People are going to hate it. So what can you do? Um, yeah, it's, it's people are, you can never please everybody, right? <laughs> uh, is there any card collections that you've personally seen or have seen on Instagram, Twitter, forums that you thought was odd, but you were very, very, uh, I don't know the word, like uh, very respectful yeah, yeah like yeah, it's yeah. very interesting and caught your eye but at the same time it's pretty out there like a weird right. one right um for me like anytime I see a collector like whether it's online or I've seen their collection like at a show or something um like any player collector who doesn't collect you know I guess the superstar player is always cool because then you get to find out why they collect a certain player and and see that passion towards their collection but this one guy um, collected um, Upper Deck the Cup cards, but he would only collect serial number number 24. I remember that was a really odd collection. And he had, like, I think it was his favorite number or something. Yeah, like, like pretty odd. And so he had about, oh man, like a thousand or so serial number cards, 24 out of whatever like all of these awesome cup cards. And so that was an odd collection when um, like I just would see him update his collection every now and then and just have all these weird, you know, random serial number cards out of 24. So, you know, they're like, that was a collection that was kind of weird and odd, but like, I respect it. Like, I'm like, okay, like awesome. Like good on you for continuing this for this long. I mean, I, like, I like that. That's kind of neat. Yeah, I, you say that I know exactly what collection you're talking about um the significance behind 24 he's a big montreal canadians fan they've won 24 cups oh that's right yeah so, yeah 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 his collection was always very cool yeah so yeah that's definitely that's a really good example of you know one that's definitely more obscure but like you see it and you're like that's awesome so yeah that's better than my example for sure the one that i was thinking of um and i know this is a guy that you're familiar with too aaron um I can't remember his username. I think it's Brown Bullhead. His name is Robert Brown. 
Oh um, yeah, the uh, and Parkhurst he, yeah, retro he collects collection. Oh two oh two oh three Parkhurst retro, and this guy is just as devoted as you can possibly imagine. He will collect any card from that product as long as there is something unique about that specific copy. So suppose you have a jersey card of Marty Brodeur. He will make sure that he has a white, a red, a black, any combination of those three colors, whatever it might be. Um, there are cards that have stick pieces in them and he will collect basically every copy of the card because for a lot of players, any single piece of the stick is going to look a little bit different. So, you know, there are some cards that he has, I think, double digit copies of just because, you know, every single one is just slightly different than the other. Um, you know, there's some that have, uh, you know, memorabilia pieces from old school goalies, you know, so they might have stitching from a pad on one piece, just leather on another piece, you know, whatever it might be. He has all kinds of different materials represented and, in different colors and all kinds of stuff. And I don't even know how many cards he has from that product. Now it's probably what over like 600 or something like that. And yeah, it's really I think it's like 700 or something. now. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I think it is. And it's, it's not a big product. So, I mean, it just speaks to how many copies of every single card he has. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, truly remarkable and I always really enjoy seeing whenever he is able to find something new um, you know it's one thing to find a card that you're looking for that just came out a few months ago or a year ago but when you're going back 18 19 years trying to find new cards I mean that's like trying to find a needle in the haystack so the fact that he still frequently is finding new cards for that collection is just absolutely amazing that yeah that is awesome it's a uh, that that's really cool is there um any examples let's give the internet some some good for goodness right now in the card collecting world everybody is very friendly is there any examples that you guys can give to of seeing somebody on twitter instagram being generous and helping somebody out oh would this be like for our own collections or just seeing it Happen. seeing it or or your own experiences okay perhaps. okay um that's fair i'm gonna go with like my own experience on this one because i do see a lot of cool you know tweets from some guys like you know like thanks to so-and-so for sending me this cool batch of cards or something but for my own collection I, I remember there was this one collector um isaac i believe from sweden and um i remember he collected um an old you know, semi-pro or, or, or a professional team in Sweden or something. And so Enroth had actually played for them back in the day. And so I remember seeing his collection. I thought that was very cool. And uh, he let me know because he was very well connected with the card community over uh, there in Sweden. He let me know that I was missing a, a couple cards. And that was um, two um, really obscure um, printing plates uh, the front version and the back version, which isn't really that uh, common here, but it is still common over there in Europe that they still do that. Um, and so he let me know that these two printing plates existed and he'll keep an eye out for me. And so like, as a collector, I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, I'm like another two cards that I get to add to the list. I didn't know they were out there. That's, that's pretty cool. 
And then randomly, but like, you know, a couple months later, I get this envelope in the mail um, addressed to myself and it was from Sweden. And I thought, you know, like I recognized the name and I'm like, okay, I, like I knew who it was from, but like, what could this be? And then, so you guys could probably guess where this is going, but I opened up the package and there were the front and back uh, plates from this one uh, Swedish card set that Enrol had a card in. So, so this was the front and back uh, plates that helped make this card. So that was really cool. And, and, and he told me about them. And um, he told me that they were not released in the actual product where the card came from. They were released in a separate product called like cut from metal. And they took all the printing plates made to make this other set. They gathered them all up and put them in this other card set and distributed them just in Sweden only. So I thought that was really cool and kind of obscure, you know, because now with printing plates, you know, you, you you know, you normally get them in the same packs that the, the, the regular cards found in. Uh, but this was sort of a, a weird, you know, division of, of, of here are the cards and the plates were going to do something else with them. And they were over in Europe. So it's like over here in North America, they're very hard to find, if at all. And so just, you know, hearing about these new cards and for him to gift them to me for free was just unbelievable. And I remember just saying them back an email just saying like, like, thank you so much. Like, it's so awesome. Um, so uh, those cards, like, like every time I look at them, I'm like, like that was an awesome, generous moment. And I've made sure to, to pay it forward, you know, when someone needs something. So that was, you know, the number one moment of generosity for me. I just thought of another one, but this podcast, you know, can only go so long. So um, yeah, that's it for me. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, probably a, a more interesting example than mine. Um, I've had quite a few people over the last few months send me stuff that I've needed for my collection, but um, I'll give one specific example because it just happened a couple days ago, actually. Um, a, good, a good buddy of both of ours who has actually been a guest on our podcast, his name is Chris Pryor. He's a just a massive Roberto Luongo collector, like one of the best player collectors I think either of us have ever seen um you know collecting someone of that stature you know as seriously as Chris does is just remarkable but um he reached out to me out of the blue and said hey are you still working on that 0304 be a player ultimate memorabilia limited auto set that I had been referencing earlier tonight and I said yeah yeah you know like of course I'm still still working on that set you know why and he was like well you know like which which ones do you still need and i said well there's there's not too many i think there's only a handful that i'm still looking for i think these are the the players that i still need um you know let me know if you happen to see any of them because like i said you know all these years later with only 19 of them being around they're really hard to come across so I sent him the list of five guys that I needed. And he said, Oh yeah, like I have two of those. And I was like, what? Like, are you serious? Like, cool. What, like, what, you know, how much do you want for him? He was like, I don't know. Like, just give me your address. And I'm like, dude, like, are you serious? Like I've been trying to find these cards for a while and you just have them sitting around and you're sending them for free. And he was like, yeah, like I, you know, it doesn't do me any good having them. And I would rather them go to the right home than, you know, get whatever a hundred dollars or whatever for both of them. So yeah, like just send me your address and they're yours. So 
I don't have them yet, but I am obviously extremely excited to get them. Um, I actually do have copies of both of the cards that he's sending me already. But for anyone familiar with that set, they came in these like sealed holders. And the ones that I have currently were removed from those holders. So they're, in my opinion, kind of like altered. So I don't collect, um, you know, those altered versions, so to speak. I, I want them in their original state. So the ones that he have are still in the original seal holders. So yeah, I mean, it's just remarkable that, you know, he was willing to just send them for free. So, but I mean, there's so many examples of other people doing that. Um, I know another friend of ours, Al Gishwentner, I don't know if I'm saying that right. There's a ton of consonants in there, not many vowels, but he sent me a stack of stuff for my 0304 collection and yeah, lots of other people, but yeah, I'll, I'll shout out the two of them in particular. That's awesome. It's always nice to hear good stories from the internet and people not being jerks all the time. <laughs> um, is there anything else from the hobby that you guys want to get out there be, uh, before we go to the closing part to it? It's a good question. Oh, man. I don't know. There's so many cool things about the hobby. Like, I would say if you're new and you're listening to this, um, just collect what you like. I mean, there's so many um, you know, investor type, um, you know, people out there right now and they're pushing people towards this part of the hobby or that part of the hobby or this specific player or something. Um, like, I would just say like, if that's your bag, that's cool. Like, like do that. That's really fine. But if it's not like, like, don't be afraid to go against the grain and collect what you want, because at the end of the day, it's your collection. And, um, you know, it's the only real way to have fun with it. Just collect something that you want to collect. And uh, just go from there and take it slow. I mean, it's not a race. You know, you don't have to have all these cool cards on day one. Just uh, have fun and see where it takes you. And that's, that's kind of it for me. Yeah, I think that's really good. Um, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I believe, you know, this is kind of more just a generic hockey podcast. So I'm sure a lot of listeners here don't necessarily collect. So for anyone listening who does not collect, I would really encourage you to just go online, try to find some cool looking cards of a player you like, a team you like, whatever it might be, um, you know, and just try to enjoy it. You know, there, there are plenty of ways to get involved with collecting cards that does not require a lot of money. That might be a pretty big misconception, especially today with how valuable a lot of cards are, how expensive boxes and packs are, um, you know, it, it can be really overwhelming and daunting, especially if you're just trying to get into it right now. Um, you know, I can't even imagine, you know, how overwhelming that could be. So, um, you know, I think even for Aaron and myself, you know, Aaron collecting for, you know, 16 years at this point, myself, 18 years, it's, you know, even kind of overwhelming for us sometimes. So, um, you know, I would say first of, first and foremost, if you're not collecting, it is so worth it. It's so much fun. It's, it's fun being able to hold something in your hand and feel a connection to that player. And, you know, just being able to enjoy a little piece of the sport in your hand, you know, not being able, you know, to go out and do things maybe as much as we used to be able to, um, you know, whether health-wise or, you know, cost-wise or whatever it might be, being able to hold a little part of the game in your hand 
at home is just so satisfying. So yeah, I would, I would highly encourage you guys to go online, you know, whether that be on eBay, which is a really good place to find cards for, uh, you know, fair prices, um, upper deck EPAC, if you guys haven't heard of that, um, is upper decks, uh, digital collecting platform. You can buy packs of cards and trade with anyone around the world that has an account, uh, for free. So obviously if you're buying packs, that's not free, but, um, trading doesn't cost anything. So that's a really fun thing to do and get involved. And then you can have those cards mailed to you, which, you know, again, is a great way of doing it. You don't even have to leave your house to go to a card shop or anything. You can just do it right online. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would really recommend just, like I said, going, trying to find a really cool looking card of a player or team you collect or a team that you like, um, and just kind of going from there, you know, it doesn't have to be the flashiest stuff. It doesn't have to be the most expensive stuff. It doesn't have to be autographed, doesn't have to be memorabilia cards. It can just be a really simple, basic, cheap card that just looks really nice. And I, I honestly find that the cards that look the nicest are oftentimes cards that I, I enjoy more than cards that are worth a lot more, because if it looks cool, you're probably going to enjoy having it, enjoy looking at it. You're going to be more inclined to get more cards like that. So you are enjoying what you have. Like Aaron said, it's really important to be going after what you like, what you enjoy. If you're just picking up stuff that, you know, you think, oh, you know, this could be valuable one day or, oh, you know, I know everyone likes Connor McDavid stuff. So yeah, I'm going to go get McDavid stuff. That's fine but you're probably not going to be as invested in it yourself if you're kind of collecting, so to speak, like to please other people. Um, you know, if Aaron and I were just collecting cards of Crosby and McDavid and stuff, we would enjoy that to an extent, but since we don't necessarily have like a, a draw to those players, I feel like it would be a lot easier to get burnt out a lot faster. So yeah, I mean, like Aaron said, it's a great tip, but collect what you like, you know, figure out whatever that is. And if it takes a while to figure out what that is, that's fine. You know, for me, like I said, it took, you know, whatever, six, seven years to really figure out kind of what I liked collecting. So don't feel like you have to figure it out right out of the gate. Kind of like what Aaron said. Um, this all goes back to why, you know, I said we have kind of a similar outlook on the hobby. So yeah, I think, um, yeah, between what I said and what Aaron said, I think those are all uh, good tips to get you started if you are not already collecting. That is awesome. One last question before we wrap it up, if that's cool with you guys. What is uh, your, if you had to pick one card from your collection, what is your favorite card? Wow, that is a, that is a <laughs> difficult question. Oh man. God always favorite. asks the difficult ones. Yeah, no, of course, <laughs> of course. You gotta, gotta ask. I'm trying to think my favorite card. Oh man. Um, well, I mean, I'm gonna have to go for the, from the Enroth collection, obviously. Um, one of my favorite cards, I would say, is 2013-2014 uh, uh, Panini National Treasures. Um, you know, if anyone is in the hobby or has been in the hobby for a long time, you know that uh, Panini was producing uh, NHL hockey cards for a bit. Uh, their run was only for a couple of years and then, uh, you know, they lost the license. But so National Treasures was, I believe, their final hockey set. 
And so they went all out with this set from the designs, from, you know, the uh, types of cards they included, uh, the players they included, just everything was just, you know, that last year was just amazing for hockey cards. And so um, in their uh, National Treasures set, they created these uh, certain insert sets called Flawless. And it, it's kind of like a, like an upper tier card set and just kind of like, almost like royalty. Like, like if you think about it, like the cards just looked so cool, like really slick designs, all white, just something like just world-class, you know, if, if you could categorize cards that way. Um, and they actually had like a little diamond inserted on the card, like next level stuff. Like you see that and you're like, wait, what? Like, why is that doing on a hockey card? Like, that's so weird. It's just, it's just, you know, a step above anything that had come before that time. And of course, if you collect other sports, you know, Panini Flawless is still in production. They still make sets like that. They're great looking cards. Uh, and so when they did that for hockey, it was like, whoa. And so um, Enroth did make that set. And I have the gold version out of five and then the 101 uh, platinum, like flawless, I think it's called, uh, with a little diamond in there. I think it looks kind of cool, like kind of cheesy, but also kind of cool. And the card just looks really nice. Like, like so that would be like one of my favorite cards uh, just for the story behind it, but also the card just from a design perspective, just looks really, really cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Those are definitely, I would say, among the more iconic modern day cards, I think, especially more in other sports. Um, you know, like you said, they still are being made for other sports. And I know that those are definitely um, extremely popular and, and valuable cards, especially for bigger name guys. Um, for me, it is hard to pick one. Um, that said, I would say that it's probably been made easier to answer that question over the last few months. Um, over the last year or so, for anyone that's followed our podcast, um, you will know that I have started accumulating a, a pretty substantial collection of George Vesna memorabilia cards. And, you know, I, I think most people would probably say that Vesna memorabilia, especially his pads, are, you know, probably the holy grail of hockey memorabilia. So that's just something I've really enjoyed getting into over the last year or so and uh, have definitely built up a nice little collection of Vesna stuff. But um, earlier this fall, I was fortunate enough to acquire, um, it's from a product called Leaf Pearl, and they put um, some of the actual pad buckles from Vesna's pads into cards. So I was actually fortunate enough to get one. Um, so that's definitely, without a doubt, my favorite card at this point. Um, hard to envision that ever being topped. Um, I mean, it's, it's cool, you know, having something that truly is a very recognizable piece of hockey history like that. Um, definitely an honor to be able to own something like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's probably uh, at this point, at least my, my most valuable hockey card, but just as far as what it actually is, you know, and the significance of the piece itself, uh, you know, for me, it would definitely be my favorite. That is awesome. And uh, since we're voice only podcast, Eric showed a picture of it and my eyes just blew out of my head because that is awesome looking. <laughs> 
So um, th thank you so much, you guys, for being on here. These are the guys from, sorry, set, uh, Center Ice Card Pop. Yeah. The Center sorry. Ice Card Cast. <laughs> it's such a mouthful. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the name is a pretty fun one. So yeah, the Center Ice Card Cast. <laughs> and uh, tell us where we can, uh, where everybody can find you so our listeners can look you guys up and hopefully give you guys some listens. Yeah, that's totally fine. So you, you don't have to say it to have access to us. Uh, the Center Ice Cardcast podcast can be found on, uh, you know, Apple, uh, Spotify, uh, YouTube, uh, Google Podcasts. Um, I think that's about it. But I think there's other third-party podcast apps that, that will, you know, pick us up if you search it. So um, wherever you access your podcasts, uh, you can uh, find us there. Yeah. And on any of those platforms or, you know, any obscure platforms that you might use, um, if you just search hockey cards, you'll be able to find it. Um, in our official name on all the podcast platforms, we included hockey card podcast so that it's really easy to find if you just search for hockey cards. Um, I always encourage people to watch on YouTube because I'll usually edit in some pictures of cards that we're talking about so that you guys can actually see what we're talking about. So yeah, but like Aaron said, you can listen pretty much anywhere that you can find podcasts. Um, and then on social media, Facebook, Centerized Cardcast, uh, same with Instagram, Centerized Cardcast, and then Twitter is at CenterIceCC. That's awesome. Now for any of our listeners who want to find you guys directly, where can we find you? Sure. Um, you can connect with me on Instagram or Twitter. Um, my handle is at CreaseCollector. And you can find me there. And for me, um, for cards, I primarily use uh, Facebook. So just my normal name, Eric Andrews. Um, I'm on tons of card groups. So if you just search members in any card group, odds are at least somewhat decent that I'm probably in that card group, especially if it's a bigger one. Um, Twitter, my handle is at walaxer19, so W-A-L-A-X-E-R-1-9, uh, which is also my Instagram, but I don't really use that for cards that much. Um, for Instagram, I typically just use her podcast account, which is at Cardcast. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for being on. Uh, for Eric and, and, and Eric and Aaron, uh, this is... My name is Paul, and that was another interview for hockey, Red Light Hockey Podcast. Right on. Thanks for, thanks for having us. <laughs>